0: Welcome to Behold, a podcast for women longing to live a life worthy of the call they have received. I'm Christy Horsch, and this is episode 127. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Behold. Last week, we started a three-part series on teaching our kids how to take their thoughts captive for Christ. The last episode was on teaching this work to our littlest kids. Today, we're going to take on the kids from around five or six to 10 to 12, depending on the kid. But let's get started with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, come and be so present in our motherhood. We thank you for teaching us how to take our thoughts captive for Christ. And we ask you to pour down your wisdom, your knowledge so that we can share this with with our kids so that we can help them to take their thoughts captive as well. Lord, we know you have a story for each of our lives and each of our children's lives. We just ask that no matter that story, our children feel loved by you, that they follow you. We ask this in Jesus's name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week, as I said, we talked a lot about helping our children with their big emotions. And these big emotions and the fits that sometimes come with them are very evident in that five and under crowd. Now, as we get to five and six, that's kind of an in-between age. Some are ready for this next stage and some are not. And some have days when when they're ready for this and days when they still really need that first set of tools that we talked about last week. That isn't a problem. There's nothing wrong. It's just recognizing that they're in this transition period from little kid to bigger kid. Most of the time around age seven, these tools for teaching will really start to hit their mark. In the church, we acknowledge that age seven is the age of reason in most instances. And this isn't a mistake. It's because at this point, our kids have a sense of reason and know right from wrong. They are responsible for their sins at this point. And so we can also recognize that they're starting to have more control over their thoughts and emotions. Now, as we talked about last week, our kids are watching us. The best witness to them of this work is them watching these actions through us. If you're taking your thoughts captive for Christ consistently, they're much more likely to make it a habit of their own that continues into adulthood. So don't be afraid to talk about these things with your kids. Tell them what you're thinking and how that affects your emotions. Show them how you respond to those emotions. This is powerful for our kids to see the work, this work modeled in real-life situations. If you haven't been taking your thoughts captive for Christ, that's okay. It's a great time to start. To learn the basics of this tool, check out episodes and Behold of number 3, 50, and 105. And then join me in beckon. That's my monthly membership where we really deep dive into this work. Okay, so you're modeling your behavior for your children. The next thing we do is we start to talk to our children about their brains. Our brains are an incredible tool. We have thoughts and those thoughts are in our brains, but those thoughts do not define who we are. Sometimes our thoughts are true, but sometimes they're not. In this podcast, we talk about the primitive part of your brain and the prefrontal cortex or the problem-solving part of your brain. You can introduce these concepts to your children of this age, too. You can tell them that they have a part of their brain that is kind of like a toddler. It throws fits. It whines. It wants things right away without waiting. It doesn't want to share. It wants everything pleasurable now. Then explain that there is another part of their brain that can think beyond that. It can see the importance of sharing, of playing nicely with others, of only eating one cookie so you don't have a tummy ache later. Life coach Sterling Jayquith calls this the saint brain. We can use our saint brain to live a life that brings God glory. This is where we know what's right and what's wrong, and then we do it. As you teach them this, remind yourself, The prefrontal cortex that problem solving part of the brain is not fully formed until age 25. So even if your kids know these tools, they're still going to be impulsive. They're still going to use that toddler part of their brain. Sometimes they're not always going to make good choices, but look at us. We're adults with fully formed prefrontal cortexes, and we still don't always make good choices so we can give them that mercy and grace because we understand that they're learning and we understand that they're not even working with their full range of tools yet. Another tool that helps children to learn to take their thoughts captive is teaching them to be aware of their feelings. In the littles that we talked about last night, worked last week, we tell them what they're feeling. For example, if your toddler wanted a cookie before dinner and you said no, and they start to throw a fit, you might tell them, I see that you are frustrated. I see that you are angry. I see that you are sad, whatever it might be. I know you're angry when you can't have a cookie when you want one. We call out the emotions that we see because they don't have the language yet to be aware of what they're feeling. With this age group, when we're getting you know, five, six, seven, up until tween teen years, we can start to have them name the emotions. After they've had a big emotion, when they've calmed down a little bit, we can ask them, what did you feel? What were you feeling then? And usually their language is still kind of limited. So it might just be something like happy, sad, angry, frustrated, but ask them to explain, ask them to explain how it feels in their body. If that feeling has a color, a color or a temperature or a taste, have them really explain the emotion to you. You can help them fill in the vocabulary for emotions they describe. And this doesn't have to only be done after a big emotion. It can be done anytime. Let's do an example. Maybe you've had a wonderful day and you tuck them into bed at night and you tell them, it was a wonderful day with you. I feel very content. How do you feel? And they'll respond and you can explore their feeling and your feeling together. And it will help them to begin to identify different emotions and how they feel. You don't have to do this all the time, just when the opportune moment arises. We don't talk about our feelings constantly in our house, for example, but we do when it makes sense to. Now, sometimes emotions do get big. And I use this analogy with my kids at this age. And I heard this from Sterling Jaquith, but it's a pretty common analogy I've come to find out. When my kids are not in the midst of a big emotion, I teach them that in their brain, they have a wise owl, and the wise owl is very smart and has good control of emotions. There's also a guard dog in their brain, and the guard dog really wants to keep them safe and protect them. When they don't feel safe, the guard dog starts barking really loudly. And if the guard dog barks really loudly, the wise owl gets scared and flies away. So can you kind of see where we're going with this? So if I have explained this to my kids, and then a few days later, my seven-year-old is throwing a fit over something, I can calmly say to her, oh, it looks like your dog is barking right now. Your wise owl is flown away. So why don't you go into your room for a little bit, let your barking dog rest, and your owl come back. When we do this, it helps both us and them. Because we can see that it isn't our child trying to upset us. They're just responding to the stress response that they're having in that moment. In a stress response, we don't have good access to our prefrontal cortex. This imagery helps them to see, to see that, and it helps us to remain calm because we've been reminded of what is going on in their brain. It also helps take away the going to your room as a punishment. It isn't that they're being punished. They're just being given a safe place to calm down. Oftentimes we want to try to reason with our kids at this age. They are at the age of reason after all. But when they're in a stress response, remember a stress response is that fight or flight state of mind. They can't be reasoned with. So we don't need to try. Instead, by giving them space to calm down or using some kind of calming techniques that we talked about last week and in other episodes, then later we can approach the situation with them. We can say, hey, earlier you seemed very upset. I think your wise owl flew away then, but it's back now. Is that right? Yes? Okay. let's talk about what happened and how you were feeling. Then when they talk about how they were feeling, you can suggest other ways to respond to those emotions. When you're angry, you can punch a pillow instead of your sister. When you're frustrated, you can use your words to communicate your needs rather than screaming. When you're sad, you can come get a hug rather than throwing yourself on the floor. My kids love the wise owl and barking dog analogy. They tell each other, hey, your dog's starting to bark when things get start to get a little tense. And sometimes just that alone will diffuse the situation. Unfortunately, they will. they'll tell me sometimes too. That's a side effect of teaching your kids emotional regulation. They'll call you out when you're not emotionally regulated, but that's okay. It's a good teaching moment. Yes, my dog is barking and I'm going to go to my room or take a bath or go for a walk and then we can talk when my wise owl is back. Then later, you can explain what you are feeling. You can apologize and explain that we all are on a journey and learning this work together. Just like you aren't always regulated, neither are they. Just like we get tired, thirsty, or hungry, so do they. We can look at their needs and make sure they're getting enough healthy food, water, and sleep. We can foster open communication at this age. We want to keep pouring God's truth into our kids. Help them memorize scripture, talk to them about faith, give them a solid foundation of thoughts to fall back on. Finally, you can start to point out their thoughts, lead to their emotions. You'll hear kids say, he made me so mad, or you made me sad. Validate how they're feeling, but point out that other people or circumstances don't cause your feelings. It's what you think about those circumstances that cause your feelings for example your son hits his brother you ask him what happened and he says he made me do it you can work backwards through our taking thoughts captive for christ tool and talk through it with him you hit him because you felt something what did you feel i was angry he replies good what were you thinking when you were angry i was thinking he was so annoying okay So you thought he was so annoying. Then you got angry and then you hit him. It doesn't sound like he made you do it. It sounds like that thought led you to hitting him. You can stop here. You're just trying to establish in his brain that his thoughts lead to his emotions, his emotions he will respond to those emotions then and then he'll end up with his outcome. Eventually he'll start to recognize that this is true and start to check his own thoughts. If you think your child is ready, you can help them reframe their thoughts. As a homeschool mom, I use this a lot with schoolwork. For example, one of my daughters used to struggle with math, and she was thinking, I'm not good at this, or I don't like math, or I'll never get this. You can see that those thoughts are hard and painful. She felt like a failure before she even started, and she responded to those feelings with tears and shutting down. So we worked through some new thoughts. We talked about how she wanted to feel when she came to the table for math. She wanted to feel calm and safe and confident. As her teacher, I set her up for success with some quick wins in math to build that belief in herself. But we also found thoughts that would help. Thoughts like, I can do hard things. I'm good at learning new things. Mom's going to help me if I don't understand something. When she would sit down for math, We would pray together. We would renounce her old thoughts and repeat her new thoughts so they were fresh in her mind. Then we'd get to work. Within a relatively short period of time, math became her favorite subject. We didn't need to keep talking about those thoughts anymore. She had them down. But just like us, she has bad days. Her brain wants to go back to those old thoughts. So I remind her of where those thoughts take her and where her new thoughts take her. Then I let her choose what she's going to think for the day. Sometimes she moves into those new thoughts, and sometimes she decides to stay in the old. And that's her free will. We all have free will. And while there may be consequences to our actions, ultimately our kids get to choose what they're going to think. We can't do it for them. So hopefully this is helpful. It doesn't need to be done every day. It's just those little moments of connection over time. Because at the end of the day, that's all our kids at this age want. They want connection with you their mom so when you teach this work to them in a way that makes them feel seen and validated in little moments of connection then you and your kids will be one step closer to living your lives worthy of the call you have received i'm christy Horsch. thank you so much for joining me today if you want to dive deeper into this work i would love to have you in beckoned my monthly life coaching membership You can learn more about that and more about everything we offer at Behold at beholdyourlife.com slash beckoned. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And in the meantime, I will be praying for you. God bless.